Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. We got a good one. Well, we've been tackling a few heavy weeks on this podcast. If you haven't listened to the last couple episodes, we've talked through homosexuality again, same-sex attraction, and last week we talked through women's roles in ministry and in the church. And so we just thought we'd continue to talk about just tough topics in the New Testament. And so today is no different. We're going to be talking about slavery in the Bible. Explicitly, we're going to talk about does God promote slavery or condone slavery in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament? Where do we see it? What does that mean? How have people how have Christians used it um, to be okay with having, having slaves and how do we, how do we tackle that and wrestle with that? And so before we get into that, <clears throat> there were, we were talking about some people getting some compliments this <laughs> week. And so I thought a good question would be, what's the greatest compliment anybody has ever given you this week? And it's up there for greatest because it hit home with something that I love. I was hanging out with somebody, a guy I'd never met before. It was the first time I met him. We're at Puritan where all great hangouts happen. We call that Fellowship Dixon. That's right. (laughs) Fellowship Dixon. It's the office. uh, It's the place of worship. It's great. Mm. And uh, so we sit down, we start hanging out and he goes, man, you kind of look like a snowboarder. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, you just got the, like the hair and the jacket and you look like you snowboard. I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I do. Fun fact about me, I love to snowboard. I love that culture. It's one of my favorite things, kind of like just the punk rock, get on the mountain type thing. And edgy. You're so edgy. I am edgy, Ellie. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob does look like a snowboarder. Part of it's kind of the flow. Part of it's just the way he carries himself. He has a Sean White vibe. Mm. And part Gosh, of it's the way another he- Another compliment. Part, part of it's the way he dresses. And so just Google Jacob Bookout, Northwest Arkansas- and you'll, if you have never seen Jacob before, he's, he's got a snowboarder vibe for sure. Yeah. So that was a great compliment. It hit home for me. So I'm going to choose that one. That's a great one. <laughs> I, I was yawning. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I wanted you to go, Josh. <laughs> Ily, you got this. Um, uh, well actually yesterday, wow. Josh made a comment. Oh. Um, I know I'm going to type you up a little bit. Wow. Um, Josh said that I am the Jen Wilkin of the team. And that will stick with me. The Jen Wilkin, forever. not just of our college team, <laughs> of fellowship. Yep. No, that is not it. No, no, <laughs> that's it. No, oh 100, 100%. Give me another well, name. No, 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 no. Yeah, Wait, exactly. No, no, but I will say when I first moved to Arkansas um, almost two years ago, I remember getting coffee with a student and she looked at me and she said, you could really pull off a nose ring. <gasps> Wow. And look at you now. And about and a month ago, ring. Joanna and I, we just went on over to a little shop and, and got some piercings. Man, so. <laughs> you are you are unbelievably edgy. It's wow. crazy. Wow. Your See, listeners, is- I have been told for the last 10 minutes, actually 24 hours, that I am not an edgy person. You know what? That may be true, but Josh saying this right now, he's just... He's just saying it for the, yeah. I'm completely mocking you. Okay, Josh, what's a compliment (laughs) that you have received? So before coming on to fellowship staff, I, uh, I worked for a student ministry in Dallas and we had a basketball hoop in our backyard 
And we would have middle schoolers come over every week, probably multiple times a week, just to play basketball. And we do a little low hoop basketball, which was like we'd set set the goal to about seven feet, which for a middle schooler is still somewhat tall, but for a grown adult, it is not tall at all, even for a 5'10 white guy that can't jump, which is me. And so I'd play, I'd tell these middle schoolers, like, let's play all of you versus me because they were like half my height. I'm not, I'm not even that good. And I would just throw a ball off the roof and just dunk on some of them <laughs> and basically just like shame them on the basketball court and just destroy them. And I had, I had a kid come up to me after one of those games on a seven foot hoop with a five ten white guy that can't jump and is very average at basketball say, Josh, why didn't you want to go to the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Complete seriousness. So, so serious. Just, Josh, did you ever consider going to the NBA? And and I tried to match his seriousness and said, well, the Lord called me into ministry, so I couldn't. And he goes, yeah, I think you made a mistake. You should. <laughs> He's like, you should have at least tried. Dang. Like, Maybe in another life. Thanks, kid. Mm. So That's a good compliment. Great compliment. Just love love the ignorance of middle schoolers. <laughs> so great. So anyway, that has nothing to do with what with what we're talking about. And so um, the, a question that gets brought up a lot, especially when we look at the the cultural context of America and how prevalent prevalent slavery has been in our country, but still, even when we look around the world, slavery is is not something that's gone. There's different forms of slavery all around the world right now as we speak, potentially bigger than it's ever been in some contexts. And so what what we want to tackle today is what does the Bible have to say about slavery and does it promote it or or does it speak against it? And what do we what do we do with the passages about slavery? So do one of y'all want to just kind of give us a, an overview of where we see slavery mentioned in the Bible? Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, we see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament where slavery is brought up and um, the words in the the Greek for slavery is doulos, uh, and that can mean either uh, slave uh, or bond servant, and we'll get into a second what uh, bond servant means. It just depends on the context, but it is the same word, doulos. Uh, and then the Hebrew word, so so Greek New Testament doulos, Old Testament Hebrew. Um, that is going to be this word ived, uh, and and it's just the Hebrew word for slave. Uh, and it is important, like we've been saying this whole season, to check our passports and remember that we are in 21st century America. And so we are going to step into the text with our own understandings of certain things. And so we have to remember, okay, how do I recognize what slavery is? How would the original readers and the the author um, recognize what slavery is? And so um, Josh was kind of getting into this, like we in America have this, um, understanding of slavery with like the Atlantic slave trade, right? Like that is where our mind will automatically go. Uh, But the slavery that's being talked about in the Bible is not the same. And so if we look at old world slavery, so the slavery that was seen within the Old Testament, um, this is typically bond servanthood. Uh, 
Um, this is... Uh, Explain what, what's mm-hmm. bond servanthood. Yeah, it, it's this voluntary service uh, that's typically for a contracted amount of time. And so one of just our examples that we can see in scripture is just with Jacob and Laban. Um, when Jacob is in trouble, right, he's running from Esau, scared Esau is going to kill him. So runs away um, and he just finds like safety in Laban and Laban's um, just community. And so so Jacob essentially like sold himself to Laban for seven years. Um, and we do have to note Laban was not a great uh, slave or bond servant owner, but that that was Jacob recognizing that he was in trouble. He didn't have the means to support himself. And so he sold himself into this situation where he would um, offer his his like labor for a certain amount of years in exchange for safety, protection, um, food, uh, a place to live, stuff like that. And so that was very common um, at this time. And uh, something to, to note too is this was not um, racial, uh, or ethnic, it was it was poverty based. So it was about um, people who didn't have the means to support themselves. Uh, but it is also cool to see. Well, cool, maybe not. Sorry, sorry, Like, where is she uh, going no, no, no. with this? Um, if you look through Old Testament passages and um, the Mosaic Law, you see laws that were established to protect people who stepped into bond servanthood. Um, and, and we'll get into that in a second. I, I want to keep explaining the different types of slavery, but um, just know that there were um, ordinances that were um, given by Yahweh to protect people who were slaves. Um, this was not something like we think of with um, our modern day slavery of, oh, this is going against their will. It's kidnapping. Like this is They're like same. property. Less yes. Than. Yeah. Um, so that takes us to Roman slavery, right? So when we go into the New Testament and say we'll be talking about Philemon, we actually have a whole book in our Bible that is a letter from Paul written to a slave owner about a slave. Uh, it's really cool. It's super short, um, but gives us some, some interesting insight. But in the New Testament now, we have Roman slavery. Rome is domineer in the world. Um, the Roman <laughs> empire was built on the backs of slaves. And this was so common that um, some scholars believe that up to 20% of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. One in five people were slaves. Uh, So you can imagine if if, um, Paul were to come in and say, actually, no slaves starting now. I mean, a fifth of the labor in the workforce would just automatically be gone. But anyway, so so 20% of the population were enslaved. Um, this also wasn't racial. Um, people who were slaves in the Roman Empire uh, were typically slaves because they were born into it. That's like the, the biggest amount. Um, a lot of them were bond servants as well. So they were the ones who kind of sold themselves into it to work off some debts, stuff like that. Um, people who were captured in warfare would become slaves. That was typical, um, so especially with um, like, you know, all the men would be fighting in the war, they get killed, and then the women and children are left. So they, they take them into slavery. Quick pause. Yeah. Um, something that some of our listeners might be familiar with that you might not realize is a form of slavery. Anytime you watch a movie and there's gladiators, like the movie Gladiator, uh, those all would have been these types of slaves. Oftentimes, those guys are captured in war. They're other warriors. Uh, they end up getting a little cohort of them living for some really wealthy guy. They train, they perform. Um, a lot of them have a high honor within the families, but they are technically bond servants and 
they participate in this sport. So uh, just so you know, that it would actually be one type of, of those, um, of these like bond servanthood slave um, type things in the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's good context. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, so, so Roman slavery, um, I mean, this is, there were different ways that people could have become slaves. It, it was different from like Hebrew or old world slavery. But I think the point is um, when we read scripture, we have to get the context of, okay, what are, what am I reading about? Um, is the Bible uh, supporting this or is the Bible talking about this? Um, there's, there's also a difference between when scripture will regulate something versus promote something, right? Like we see in scripture all the time, um, guidance on how to suffer well, uh, for the Lord, um, and it, that's not necessarily saying like, oh, you should go out and make people hate you. Like, like you should go out and like get yourself thrown into jail. It's not saying that. It's just saying, hey, if when that happens, here's how you do this well in a way that's honoring to the Lord. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. And it's not promoting like, mm-hmm. okay, so the hands at which somebody might be suffering because they're a Christian, you know, if they're getting beaten or something like that. It's not saying that those people beating them are in the right just because it is a good thing for us to suffer as Christ suffered. That's actually an evil thing that they're doing, but there's guidance in how to exist in that. Yeah. Like if you find yourself in a position where you're suffering, here's how to do it in a way to honor Christ. And so in the same way, what, what Paul in the new Testament, we can, we can actually dive into this, this passage is saying, if you find yourself in a position where where you are the slave or the or the bond servant in a relationship, here's guidance guidance on how to honor Christ even as as a slave, even as a as a bond servant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the New Testament addresses this a lot. Uh, Paul even uses it um, this idea of slavery as like one of his primary analogies to our relationship to Christ. Um, in a lot of his intros, in a lot of his intros, he calls himself a a slave a to Christ. Do, do loss. A doulos, yeah. yeah. And um, Romans eight, that's part of it there, or uh, not Romans eight, Romans six, leading up to yep. Romans eight. But it's all over the place. It's in First um, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and then obviously we're going to look at the letter to Philemon. But um, yeah, this is very prevalent in the culture, and the New Testament absolutely does address it. And before we step into Philemon, I really would love to just look at the the differentiation between um, old world, Old Testament slavery and what those regulations were and and what the Bible says specifically about slavery in the New Testament too. Yeah, because the Torah talks about slavery mm-hmm. a lot. And so, yeah, give us kind of a just a, a quick rundown of... Yeah of what old world or Hebrew slavery would, would have looked like. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of passages specifically um, in Exodus, like Exodus 21, and um, we see it in Leviticus uh, 19 and 29, um, in Deuteronomy 5. And basically there are these laws that are regulating the protection of slaves slash bond servants in the Bible. And so some of those things um, include the fact that rape is not allowed and actually it's punishable by death. So if someone were to go to another wealthy person and say, hey, I will give you X amount of years of my life if you offer me protection and um, food and food shelter and stuff like that, um, that master cannot um, harm this slave. Uh, if they um, if they rape them, then that's punishable by death. Because when we think about the Atlantic slave trade and certain types of like colonialism, mm-hmm. we part of the the, the reasoning which was completely messed up was 
viewing again it was racial mm-hmm. viewing the slight viewing them as a like lesser being and so basically it was property I could do whatever I want that's not what's going on mm-hmm. on here with with God's commands for for his people and how they deal with bond servants right yeah, absolutely. And actually kidnapping is dealt really seriously as well. Um, and so this type of slavery or bond servanthood, it's it's transactional, right? Like people are saying, hey, I owe a debt or I'm in trouble. I, I, it's an exchange. If someone were to be taken by force, um, you know, kidnapping, uh, this was also dealt with seriously. And actually the word, um, some of our translations will say, um, like they, they must be, uh, oh gosh, held accountable, or I can't remember the reference right now, but the, that specific word has to do with death. And so the punishment that they would receive for kidnapping someone is death. Um, and so if we look at even um, like Roman slavery and if kidnapping was happening there or yeah, just more new world slavery, all of these things according to Torah law are punishable by death if it is um, kidnapping. So that's that's important to remember as well. Um, Abuse is talked about, right? Bodily harm that's done to a slave. um, It it nullifies the, the, this contract that they had, they would be set free. So if a master were to abuse them, nope, uh, it's done. Contract's done. You're free to go. Um, Yeah. uh, Beating or killing a slave. if, If that slave dies, uh, then that master is punished, um, via the death penalty, right? Um, things like if the, the slave were to have a family, um, they can leave. Okay. So this is, this is, here we go. So in Exodus 21, if a slave, <laughs> y'all are giving me a look, I get excited about these no, things. No, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like, it was like a, all right, here we go. Let's yeah, go. we're turning it on now. Yeah, Let's go. I was like, all right. Um, Exodus 21 says that if a slave, um, uh, comes into bond servanthood and he he does his time, but during that time he had a family and he were to um, you know his, his time is up, but say his his family has time that they still have to to pay um, that family they have to continue their time they can't just just leave um, so instead of leaving them that slave then can wait right he can stay in the area he can buy out their debt. Or he can make this lifetime contract saying, hey, no, I love um, serving my master. Um, and so I'm going to stay with them. My family's going to stay with them. And I'm going to become a lifelong bond servant to them. Um, but this, like, there were so many uh, protections with slaves at this time that even if someone were to say, hey, no, like, I'm just going to commit my life to serving you and being with your family, they had to go to the city gates and they had to perform this um Ritual sounds like a really spiritual word, but like this, um, like ceremony of um, it, ha- it involves a nail and the ear and, and all of that. But to say no, I am willing. Like you wouldn't be able to drag someone and co- like coerce them and say, oh yeah, they they see they said they said they want to stay with me forever, um, because they're going in front of the, the elders, the city gates, and the slave would be like, actually no, like you're crazy. I don't want to be here. You know so. I don't know if that makes sense, but there were so many regulations, um, even like with runaway slaves, if a slave escapes his master and a Hebrew or an Israelite were to find them in, in their midst, um, the Hebrew or Israelite, they can't return the slave to the master, right? You are to offer them lodging and make sure that they're okay and, and, and protect them. Slaves also got Sabbath rest, right? They were treated, um, just as any other person in the community. They were to, to rest on the Sabbath, 
Um, so there were just, there were a lot of, um, things that went on in that, um, they could marry into the family and therefore get, uh, part of the, um, like allotment, part of the inheritance, um, stuff like that. So, so those are regulations that the Torah has set to protect bond servants in this time. And when we look to, um, Roman slavery, we, we don't see, like Torah laws on Roman slavery, right? Because in the Old Testament, Yahweh is establishing a people. Like he is establishing what he wants his chosen people um, to do, how he wants them to live. And when we get to the New Testament, we see this new form of slavery coming in, which also slavery in the, the Roman Empire had different classes, right? Like you could have slaves that were public slaves that um, could have their own slaves, uh, slaves that could have their own property. Um, and then you could have more private slaves. And so those would be, um, either like agricultural rural slaves who did more like hard labor or slaves that were in the home, um, like taking care of uh, home things. And so there were different types of slaves, slaves that had different, like, um, things going on in that culture, but we don't necessarily see Torah laws that are impacting that because it was, it was a different culture coming in and establishing those things. And so what we do see is uh, scripture in the New Testament saying, hey, if you're a slave, here's what you do. If you are a slave owner, here's what you do. If you can be free, be free. And so that's what we're going to step into now after that long that <laughs> um, was, talk on slavery. <laughs> that was good. Thanks thanks for that, Ailey. Kind of To kind of sum that up a little bit, the slavery, a lot of translations will, will call it bond servant because we have so much cultural bias to what slavery looks like. And in fact, slavery, especially for Israel, would have looked more like a hired worker that has to pay off a debt than it would like what we think of slavery. And so this whole thing is trying to, to give you some context to see that when you hear the word slave or, or slavery, we have to try and think a little bit outside of the box that, that we put that in right now. And so... As we move into Philemon, Jacob, will you kind of give us like a background of what it, what's happening in in Philemon? What's the context, and how can we learn God's God's heart for the bond servant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Philemon is a very short letter uh, that Paul wrote uh, to a specific person. Philemon was a Roman citizen who lived in the city of Colossae, which is in the Roman empire. Uh, he would have been wealthy. Um, there's a church that was meeting in his household. Uh, he ended up becoming a leader of the church. Uh, and quickly we find out that he owns at least one slave who is Onesimus, who the letter kind of revolves around. And this would have been really common for any like wealthy Roman patriarch type leader, influential, um, yeah, just leader of a family to own slaves like this. Uh, but, uh, Philemon ends up coming to Christ. He becomes a Christian, um, starts leading this church. Uh, and then there's something that happens between him and Onesimus, which is kind of the whole plot of the letter that Paul is writing about. Uh, Onesimus wrongs Philemon in some kind of way. Maybe he stole some like personal belongings or money or something like that. And then he ran, uh, and whenever he ran away, he ended up going to find Paul who at this time was in prison. So Paul is currently imprisoned. He's writing some letters to churches and Onesimus comes to him for whatever reason. And Paul ends up leading Onesimus to Christ. We find out in the letter that, um, he, uh, Paul refers to him as this son whom he's brought into the faith. 
and he kind of ends up becoming Paul's uh, like personal assistant, sort of like he's helping him out um, back uh, or in the kind of the Roman culture. If you're in prison, uh, you are reliant on people that you know and friends and family to uh, come to you. A lot of times they would bring you like clothing and food, and you see Paul, you know, asking people to bring him his his papers that he's the writing parchments. with the parchments and his cloak because the winter's coming. And so Onesimus was helping him out in this way, and Paul had a really good relationship um, with Onesimus, but he knows that there is this rift between him and Philemon because he had previously wronged him. And even though Paul wants Onesimus to stay with him, he's like, hey, it's actually good that you go back to Philemon, and there needs to be some type of reconciliation that happens here, um, both because you wronged him, but there's also now this instance where Philemon is this Roman converted believer who's a leader of a church who does have slaves. The slave has wronged him, and there are legal consequences that can come from that. But now this slave has become a follower of Jesus as well. So then the question is, how does Philemon, as a Roman Christian who has slaves, engage with the slave who wronged him but is now a believer because there's a different type of status that gets taken on? And so that's kind of the... uh, the setting of what's going on in Philemon. Oh yeah. And even just to add, um, there were like Roman consequences for runaway slaves. And, and one of the, the common ones was if your slave runs away or wrongs you, it was totally allowed, uh, for you to break their bone, you know, or, um, brand their forehead Mm -hmm. so that everyone would be able to honestly like shame them and see, Oh, that person was a runaway slave. Right. Uh, so there were different, uh, things even to the point of, Oh, like they could be like torn apart by beasts or that's the more extreme end. Um, but like there were consequences for being a runaway slave and the people in this house church would have known it. And so, um, Paul or sorry, um, Philemon had every legal right under Roman law to punish Onesimus in some sort of way that the more common one would have probably been to, to break a limb. Uh, so that could have happened. Which is crazy. And so Paul in this letter, in light of that context says some pretty crazy and radical things. He's, he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon with the heart of reconciliation, but he also sends him with this letter that says, I'm sending him back to you no longer as a slave, but as a brother. No longer is he, is he going to be like under you, but he's, he's equal with you. And I want you to treat him like that. And Paul says, if he owes you anything else, charge it to my account. Like I'll pay, I'll pay whatever, whatever he has left on his debt because he's, He's an equal brother to you in Christ. It's some pretty pretty radical radical things, uh, especially in that Roman context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can see. I mean, Paul is using like First Corinthians seven, Galatians three language when he is putting himself on the same level, both him himself, Philemon, and Onesimus, on this same level of personhood. And that's crazy. And especially, I mean, this letter would have been read to the church. (laughs) Yeah. So imagine this group of people, Philemon is helping lead this group of people. Everybody knows what's happened. Letter shows up. Oh my gosh, look, letter from Paul. He's in jail. What's he got to say? And then he starts, he starts reading things like, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. I prefer to appeal to you out of a basis of love. 
And it's like, oh, what's he about to say? And then he goes, <laughs> and then he goes on to say, do not treat or count uh, Onesimus as a slave, no longer a slave, rather as a brother. And Philemon's like, what? <laughs> In front of everybody. <laughs> In front of everybody. Okay. Uh, and one main piece on um, about this letter that's revolving, it, literally the subject of this letter is how do New Testament Christians in this culture engage around specifically Roman cultural norms of slavery? How's Paul going to give some guidance to this? And it all revolves around, um, Paul kind of intros it a little bit and then ends it with this idea of partnering in the faith or in the gospel with each other. Uh, and uh, this partnership language that he used is this active lifestyle um, engagement together of, hey, Jesus has modeled for us how we ought to live. If you are a partner, if you are a part of the family, which he um, he tells uh, Philemon, you are that. You are a partner with me in this family. Uh, then I urge you to engage in the partnership, in the sharing of our faith that you accept uh, Onesimus back. And so Paul gives a really good, strong, just encouraging um, direction to because you are a follower it means that you ought to lit actually live like this. Um, and it's cool because he doesn't even mention Jesus in this, like at all. It's rather just situationally, we see Jesus get lived out in Paul's challenge to Philemon. Uh, and Paul kind of being the one who's reconciling the two, just like Jesus did, even to the point of paying money, you know, ransoming Onesimus in case he has anything to um, pay back to Philemon. Gosh, yeah, what an example of, Christ's love that Paul is is sharing. Mm. I mean, just that imagery of how Christ uh, paid our debt, you know, and Paul's saying, hey, look, like if he has a debt to pay, if Onesimus has a debt to pay, put it on my account. Um, I'll put it on my it. tab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just um, really beautiful, beautiful imagery there. Mm -hmm. And we see one other New Testament place that slavery um, is mentioned is when Paul writes to the church in Colossae in chapter 3, he goes through this long list, similarly to like he does in Galatians, where he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. And then he gives all these back and forth. And eventually he gets to, there is neither slave nor free. And so Philemon in the Colossian church, he's getting in the letter of the Colossians. He's getting in his letter to write to him. Paul, this is a New Testament principle, specifically in the Roman culture. We are all on level ground before the cross. Yeah, and so a lot of people want to take some of these passages where in Colossians or Ephesians where Paul is kind of giving wisdom to those that find themselves under Roman law in a position of slave or bondservant. A lot of critics want to read that and say, see, they're promoting slavery. The Bible is saying there should be slavery, but Paul is trying to give wisdom to, to those that find themselves in this position under Roman law as a bondservant. And I think one of the clearest passages of this wisdom he's trying to give both to bondservants and to, to those masters is in Ephesians 6. At the beginning, I'm going to read it's a short passage. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants or slaves, that's that word doulos, of Christ. And in the same way he's saying, as your would consider yourself slaves of Christ, serve those who are your earthly masters with the same sort of respect and dignity 
as if it was Christ that you were serving, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Mm-hmm. Again, he's speaking into the situation where you have a bondservant who has a debt that needs to be paid and a master and is saying, your relationship has to look completely different than all the other master bond servant relationships. If you're in Christ, masters, you need to treat them as as brothers. He says, because you both have the same master in heaven and he views you with no partiality. He views the slave and the free as as equals. And so although there's a debt that legally has to be paid, he says the way that debt is paid, the way masters treat their their bond servants and the way that bond servants pay off that debt should look radically different from from the rest of the world. And and so he he gives again just these these principles of if you're in the situation, here's how you are to live. And so what do we do with with people in church history that have used these to- sorts of passages to say that slavery is is not only acceptable but is promoted. What do we what do we do with the African colonialism mm-hmm. that that a lot of it was spurred on by people who would say, I'm a Christian and I actually can point to some Bible verses that would would say that this is okay. I mean I would First and foremost, apologize on behalf of the church. Uh, th- there isn't an excuse for that. And um, this is why it's so, so important to know the Bible and be able to understand what's going on in Scripture. And I'm not saying that everyone has to be a Bible scholar, you know, but being responsible when it comes to reading God's word and doing the work to look at context, look at who even is writing whatever passage of scripture I'm reading and where are they in history and what was going on and who are they talking to? Even just understanding those basics, those basic things helps to clarify maybe some um, just some murkiness in, in scripture and, and some things that we don't quite understand. And it is easy to take things out of scripture and warp them and twist them into what we want them to say. And that's why scripture cannot mean whatever we want it to mean. Scripture, I mean, yes, there are so many people who would debate different parts of doctrine, different parts of scripture. But the reasoning behind that is scripture isn't clear on some things, but scripture is very clear on other things. And we, amidst that, go to what's the context, who's writing it, um, what has the early church, you know, early church history said about this, um, taking into account so many things before we jump to oh, I read it, it's talking about slavery, great, it must be promoting slavery. So 
yeah, the church has messed up in the past um, and it will again in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, with this topic specifically, those are, especially in our history from our, from our culture. Um, those are very evil intentions that uh, people have used and a th- quote unquote authority in their culture and their life, which Christianity would have been, the Bible would have been in order to promote the evil intention and basically just something that, that they wanted to do. And it is a, not just the evil intention of twisting scripture, which has been since the very beginning in the garden. What did God say? No, he didn't say that. He actually said this, or it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's not quite that. This would, Satan does the same thing to Jesus in the wilderness. It's like one of the go-to ploys of the enemy on a personal level and then also to act out against other people. But that situation, using passages like this to promote, especially a a completely even different type of slavery, is very much a someone in a specific cultural context that is not looking to how... Jesus is telling us to live different in our culture so that his the way that um, he has called believers to live the truth of God's kingdom would shine in dark places, but rather taking scripture and molding it into their own culture um, in order to, again, kind of do what they want. And so just like Paul, whenever he says, hey, treat him as a brother, not as a slave, all the other Romans would have looked at them and been like, you are crazy. Yeah. Why would you do that? And it would have attracted people to know why then the gospel goes out. That is not at all what would have been happening for anybody that is going to say, see, slavery is okay. I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. It's the exact opposite, actually, and it's evil. Yeah, that's really good. The early church was was com- comprised ma- mainly of the oppressed, those who were, were slaves, the women who, who did not have equal standing at the time, widows, the poor, those were the ones that were hearing this message that, wait, what? God views us as equal with them, even though everything in society is saying that we're less than. God views us as equal. There's no way this can be true. And that that's what, what attracted so many of them into this family of God. Is like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that the creator of the universe views me on the same level as as those that have authority, that those who are held in high regard in in the community, and and this is this is God's heart, and that's always been His intention. And this is a classic example that we've been talking about all season of the importance of context. That it is so easy to take passages like this out of context and and ruin people's lives with it and, and, and cause incredible division and even to some degree promote entire slave trades based on following our own sinful, evil desires with a, with a Bible verse out of context in our back pocket. And so I'm thankful that, that even with the Atlantic slave trade, that, like hundreds of years later or even less than that, you had people and leaders, both black and white, like men and women who were like, wait a second. I don't think, I don't think that's actually what the Bible says. Here's, here's actually what, what the Bible says. Here's actually God's heart for, for all people from all nations, regardless of color. And we've seen that over the last 
several hundred years of like, whoa, 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 we need to make, we need to make this right. And if we're being completely honest, like there are still things that need to be made right because of, because of the Bible being taken out of context hundreds of years ago, we're still suffering as a nation because of those things. And, and I, I, I'm glad that there have been steps that have been taken, but there's still more, more steps if we're being honest that need to be taken before we can actually say slave, free, male, female, black, white, we're all one in Jesus. Like we're still working towards that. And, and I am thankful that there is a day coming where, where we all that are in Christ will, will see that in the new heavens and the new earth. But man, I want to see it more and more and more here. I want that kingdom to be seen here on earth as it is in heaven. And so again, as always, there's so much more we, we could talk about. I know we're just scratching the surface. We always want to keep this conversation going. And so if you need anything, if, if this brings up more questions or doubts or thoughts, please come talk to us. But until next week, grace, grace and peace. peace.